Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at the community radio station 3CR. Today Alternative News will be presented by Alexei Gontruk and he will be speaking on the computer games development industry and recent sacking of workers. Alexei is a CICD member and a new addition to the Alternative News program. But first, CICD will celebrate its 60th anniversary, 60 years of active campaigning on peace and nuclear disarmament, social justice, and much, much more. We would like to invite you to celebrate this with us at our anniversary function. There will be a number of speakers who will be sharing their memories and activities with CICD. Some of the speakers are... John Coxich, anti-war activist, jailed for her anti-conscription activities, artist and writer, member of the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church and member of CICD, and one of the first two women to be elected to the Legislative Council. Professor Joseph Camilleri from Pax Christi is Managing Director of Alexandria Agenda, Emeritus Professor at La Trobe University in Melbourne and a Fellow of the Australian Academy of Social Sciences. Bruce McPhee, who has arrived from Vietnam, is a multi-talented activist and was a hard-working and valuable asset to CICD when he was working there. His political understanding of the world was and is outstanding and advanced the anti-imperialist peace aims of CICD. Bruce continues to be an asset to CICD via his creative blog writing on the state of the world. John Lloyd, ex-secretary of the CICD during the moratorium period. John is involved with the Vietnam Moratorium 50th Anniversary Committee, preparing for its commemoration on 8 May 2020. There will be more speakers, plenty of food and drinks and music. The celebration will be held on Sunday 10th November from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne. Please RSVP for catering purposes by 6th of November by calling CICD on 0414-352-542 or by email to CICD at peacecenter at cicd.org.au. Here is Alexi. Hello, my name is Alexi Gontrup. I'm a computer programmer specialising in computer games development. Today, I'm going to talk about the computer games development industry and the state it is in today. To start off with, The games industry has come to be a very big industry with very high value, which amounts to a worth of about $134.9 billion in 2018. In comparison, the film industry was worth $136 billion in 2018 and the film industry $19.1 billion. I would also like to note that these amounts are in US dollars. But my aim here is to talk more about the workers in the industry and the amount of exploitation that goes on in it. The games industry has become rather well known for the exploitation of workers. 
One such main method of exploitation that is commonly used in this industry is termed crunch. It is a term given to refer to intense periods of working overtime. It was something that only used to happen in the lead up to a game's public release, but now is spread to being used whenever companies feel like. This has led to this culture of fear emerging, where game developers have come to expect this crunch as part of their everyday job. This level of exploitation of workers runs very high in the industry. Perhaps even going to levels as high as the exploitation of sweatshop workers, with reports of developers working as much as up to 100 hours per week. Just for comparison, there are 168 hours in a week. That is about 60% of the week occupied by working, and in this day and age, that is insane. In the recent months, there have been emerging reports of workers throughout the industry working very long hours, which can go as far as periods of months at a time. As well as toxic work environments, which can include various forms of abuse and assault. One such case of exploitation is in relation to a game called Fortnite by the company Epic Games. Fortnite is a rather popular game of survival of the fittest, where players are pitted against each other, either alone or in teams, to be the final one standing, and thus considered the winner. Now, while the game may be popular, this popularity has come at a cost. For there were a dozen interviews conducted by video game news site Polygon over a period of several months with both current and former employees of the company Epic Games, and they found that the people interviewed reported regular working hours in excess of 70 hours a week, with some even reporting up to 100 hours a week. There's also been reports where some of the said workers were suffering from health problems due to working for such long hours for months at a time. Another case similar in extremity is that another group of former developers from the studio NetherRealm, which was responsible for the game Mortal Kombat 9, a fighting game, have reported that they have endured working 80 to 100 hours. Also, according to another report on the matter by PC gaming news outlet PC Gamer, one of the former developers claimed that they only got two days of what wasn't working from 10 a.m. to at least midnight. Allegedly, during the four-year period of the game's development, that being 2011 to 2015, and most of the other developers as well were doing this. All the more while, it was also claimed that the bosses would leave after dinner. All of this also includes poor pay, as well as a good percentage of the time not being compensated for. These are some of the cases of the exploitation going on in the industry. But sadly, this does not end there. You will find a number of these cases. Have been made by a good percentage of people who have remained anonymous. Now, why would this be? Well, it is due to the consequences that will follow if these people did reveal themselves. In other words, they would have very simply be fired or not rehired. For another tactic that is used to further keep workers down in this industry is to hire them as contractors rather than full direct employees, as it allows these companies to have a fair amount of control over the hired. Employees or contractors. How it works is that companies hire people as contractors on limited periods, say for example six months, generally going on for a period of a game's development time. After this, the employer would then have the choice to give the contractor another contract or not. This works in a similar way to zero-hour contracts, only that there are some level of hours involved. This also allows employers to possibly dodge some of the benefits and entitlements involved with employees, which can lead to cases 
such as, and I quote from the PC Gamer article from earlier, being on a nine-month-on, three-month-off cycle with zero benefits near minimum wage strung along with lukewarm messaging that maybe you'll be hired after the next contract. The same article also mentioned the claim that NetherRealm Studios relies heavily on temporary workers. I shall also mention yet another case of similar exploitation. Independent developer Chucklefish, the developer of a game Starbound, which has sold 2.5 million copies, employed a number of people, some starting around the age of 16, to work there for hundreds of hours without getting paid a single cent, as well as even reports of harassment and bullying. It was also claimed that these people were given contributor contracts, which basically was a contract that waived their rights to work as well as expectation of pay. This was meant to be used for the contributors of the community who wished to donate their work done in their free time, but instead was used on people who would be workers on the project, followed by abuse, harassment and expected deadlines, if not mentioned, then heavily implied. With this in mind, it goes to show how companies and their bosses have a strong hold on this industry, which makes it difficult to unionise, but also for workers to come out and bring to light these cases, as workers will just simply be let go on a whim for trying to go against the interests of these companies. And not just that, but also the possibility of making it more difficult for workers to find work elsewhere in the industry. Another side effect of temporary contracting leads workers to essentially being fired from working whichever project they were, This generally happens when projects are completed and the workers are no longer needed. In conclusion, I hope I have made clear what goes on in the industry in terms of workers, what they have to endure and what they have come to expect, as well as the hostile work environments that result from this, which is only a mere fraction of what I have mentioned here today. So, we have covered the side of the games industry that the workers endure, but sadly, this does not end there for even the end user is also exploited. In the more recent years, computer games have taken a turn of treating a game more like a service rather than a game, introducing a number of ways to try to make money off of the end user by implementing things such as microtransactions, also known as in-app purchases, splitting off the game into separate bits of content to purchase separately, known as downloadable content, short for DLC, But the big one that has been a centre of controversy lately is loot crates. These methods of money making are mostly located on mobile games, but this trend has been appearing more amongst big game titles as of late on desktop computers and consoles such as Xbox One, PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. As a result of these methods being implemented, this has led to a rise in exploiting the end user for money. This mainly is in the form of psychological exploitation of people through the implementation of what is called premium currency, as well as loot crates. Premium currency is a model where you have two types of currency. Both can be spent to get all sorts of items in the game, one that is common and is earned by playing the game, and the other that is less common and harder to get and generally requires real money that is spent to get this currency. This, coupled with the game being designed around this premium currency, generally meaning the game takes a long time to play and becomes more of a chore rather than a game, which would entice, and sometimes even force, the player to spend money to acquire this premium currency and use it to speed progression in the game. This is similar to loot crates. The way loot crates work is that the player acquires them through playing the game, giving them these crates, 
throughout the play session. These crates are opened either through purchasing with real money or purchasing keys with real money to open them for what is essentially rolling a dice to get an item. These can be common items found easily when rolling the dice or a rare item, which is harder to get, presenting the notion to exploit people's psychology to try to get them to spend money in the hopes that they will get the one item that they're after to complete their collection in the game. This too has games to be designed around this concept, which would also entice or force players to spend money to purchase crates and roll a dice to get items, which would be generally the only obtainable way through getting these items is through these loot crates. Hence why these methods exploit people's psychology to try to get them to spend money to get these virtual items. Since there is no other way, or if there is, then they need to spend an immense amount of time to try to obtain this item, but the purchasing of the crates are what is encouraged here. One case of these monetization models in action is that four children in the UK spent nearly £550, which is approximately 1100 Australian dollars, to obtain content to play the game, resulting in the bank accounts of their parents being emptied. Another case is another player of a massive multiplayer online game called RuneScape, spending around 90,000 US dollars to roll the dice to get items, of which the company behind the game, Jagex, gets one-third of their income from this method. These methods have contributed to quadrupling the number of child gamblers in the UK in just two years. While these issues are going on, this has been stirring controversy amongst the public, and so has attracted attention from politicians, which has become a process of introducing regulations to this method, with Belgium banning these loot crates from certain games. Although this process is still in its very early stages, and seeing results en masse has still yet to happen. In conclusion, I will call on for workers on this industry to combat this massive exploitation that goes on by unionizing and showing that game developers have lives to live as well and that we can fight back. At the same time, people should combat the exploitation that is being implemented in games which cause all sorts of financial problems for players and those around them. By having regulations introduced to restrict, if not eliminate, these methods of exploitation as well as to make sure that games are what they should be, enjoyable and provide a means of entertainment, not to burden and to exploit. Thank you for listening. My name is Alexi Gontruk, and this is my report on the state of the games industry. Thank you for listening to Alternative News, brought to you from the community radio station 3CR. I'm Romina Betsin, looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.